Good morning, and thanks for joining me for Rise in Crime, your morning caffeine hit all about crime. I'm Mama Jules, and let's begin today with a Massachusetts family and their unimaginable and painful last few months. Springfield, Massachusetts, mother of three, Stephanie Curteau, and her fiancé, Christopher Sarah, were planning on marrying and blending their lives completely together in July of 2020. The two had spent 10 years together, and not always were those 10 years happy, but according to Christopher, they had endured their hardships. One of those hardships? In 2017, Stephanie suffered the loss of a pregnancy when she had a miscarriage, and the strain felt on their relationship just about ended their future together. Stephanie told MassLive.com that the two just about called it quits. And then more tragedy struck the couple when Christopher was leaving a birthday party for their oldest daughter. Christopher was involved in a motorcycle accident that nearly took his life on that day. He fought through an emergency 12-hour surgery, and then the next six months were filled with a brutal recovery. Stephanie recalled that those six months felt like she was frozen in time, but they persevered and they planned their future wedding together. But remember, this is summer of 2020, and public gatherings just weren't a thing. The two postponed their wedding to November of that year, and it looked a little different than how she had imagined her big princess wedding would be. The two had a scaled-down version of that wedding that included virtual attendees. And even though it wasn't quite what she imagined it was, her wedding and her little family were full of love. Well, now we've got to fast-forward to the summer of 2023. There's no more COVID shutdowns, and Christopher and Stephanie are doing the grind, working hard at their jobs and trying to raise a loving little family while still trying to manage some of their relationship difficulties. Stephanie's Facebook is loaded with pictures of her three beautiful children. She's a frequent poster, but most of the posts are dedicated to those three kids, 12-year-old Michelle, 10-year-old Aubriana, and 5-year-old CJ. Now, Stephanie received plenty of help from her mother, and as Stephanie references, her mother was her best friend. She said her and her mother did everything together, shopping, secret sharing, and also the rearing of the children, really. Stephanie's mom, 52-year-old Kim Fairbanks, would frequently come to Stephanie's home to watch the children while Stephanie would be at work. All right, let's pause that story right there. We've got Stephanie working hard to provide for her little family and her mother helping her where she can, especially being the loving grandmother who helps in raising the children. Okay, so that one's there. Now let's learn about Monica Sanchez and Victor Naves. Now let's learn about Monica Sanchez and Victor Naves. Because their world and Stephanie's world, well, they're about to violently collide. Monica and 34-year-old Victor were childhood sweethearts. And I mean childhood. The two 12-year-olds spent hours hanging out around a fishing hole in Holyoke. And true to most of our childhood crushes, it all ended for the two, and their early adult and adult lives just took them in different directions. That is, until the two reunited via a dating app in 2022. Now the two were going on with their lives. They were dating again and making plans to leave Springfield and move to central Massachusetts. Now, Victor lives in a two-story multi-unit home. It kind of looks like a a single-family dwelling, but Victor's unit is upstairs. And directly below him, Stephanie's unit. 
Victor knows the children, Aubriana, Michelle, and CJ. He knows them well. In fact, Monica says Victor loved those kids. He would do anything for them. But then Monica puts a clarifier on that statement. She says if Victor was in his right mind, he would do anything for those kids. Well, on August 14th of this year, Victor wasn't in his right mind. Monica says he had been binging on cocaine and over-the-counter drugs. His behavior was drifting to abnormal, if not alarming, on that afternoon. Now, he started to ramble about how there were people outside who were waiting to kill him. Monica assured Victor that no one was outside. But his behavior became even more frantic, and he started to search the home for one of Monica's firearms. And here's where Stephanie and her children and her mother enter the story. Now, during his manic episode, Monica texted Stephanie at work. According to MassLive.com, the text from Monica to Stephanie came in at 2.35 p.m. and it read, Steph, call me ASAP. It's Monica. Well, obviously concerned, Stephanie phoned Monica and she said Monica was scared, saying Victor's going crazy. Stephanie tried to calm Monica and she mostly dismissed the call, rationalizing that Everyone acts a little crazy sometimes, and then we all just kind of calm down and we get a little less crazy. But not even 10 minutes later, Monica called Stephanie back. Almost immediately, Stephanie hears two gunshots. She then heard Michelle, her 12-year-old, screaming. She was yelling, he shot us and he shot himself. Stephanie jumped in her car, rushing to her home, fearing the worst, Thinking about her mother and her three children, all of them should have been home at the time of the phone call. And I'm sure her worst fears were tumbling through her mind. As she is driving down the four-lane road to her home, a man driving a truck pulling a trailer moves into her lane and hits her car. You heard me right. She's rushing to see if her mother and children are safe, and she gets into a car accident. As she's explaining to the truck driver about her horrible situation, the two witness eight cop cars and an ambulance drive by. Little did Stephanie know, all three of her children were inside the ambulance. So what happened at that house? Well, Victor, in his manic state, was convinced he was in danger. He grabbed Monica's pistol, the one he'd been searching for, and he ran down the house stairs. He broke into Stephanie's home and shot Stephanie's mom, Kim, in the head as she was protecting the three children. He then pumped bullets into Michelle and Aubriana. Next, he shot the family dog. And his final act was to turn the pistol on himself, successfully ending his own life. Well, almost immediately, a child in the home called 911. And then Michelle runs outside screaming, he shot us. Michelle is covered in blood, having been shot in the stomach. Abriana is lying motionless in the home after being shot in the chest. And little CJ is cowering in fear, but he hasn't been wounded. And it's here where we catch up with Stephanie's timeline. Remember, she's on the side of the road in a motor vehicle accident and she sees the ambulance go by. No one is answering Stephanie's calls. And she finally gets a friend to drive her from the scene of the accident to the hospital. Once she arrived at the hospital, there was mass chaos. Cops and security were everywhere. At first, they stop her from entering the hospital, but then they realize she's actually the mother of the children. She is escorted to a back room and really told nothing. 
According to Stephanie, seven minutes go by and she starts to lose it. It's become real. She's standing in a hospital, not knowing how her children or mother are doing. And I can't even imagine the terror. It was then a doctor entered the room and told her that her five-year-old son was not harmed in the shooting, but that he was in shock and they were treating him. He then said that Michelle had been wounded, but she is stable and being treated. But the news goes downhill from here. The doctor relays that Aubriana was rushed to surgery to try and stabilize the 10-year-old. They then let her know her mother was killed by Victor at her home. Now devastated, Stephanie commits to stay strong for her two daughters, who are lying side by side in the pediatric ICU at Bay State Medical Center. Aubriana was not responding, and a second surgery was needed at a different hospital. Then there was a third surgery, then a fourth. Then doctors told Stephanie and Christopher that their daughter had no brain activity and that her brain was continuing to swell. Three days after being shot, Aubriana died. Stephanie wrote in a Facebook post that the light of her world was gone. She wrote that if she could change that day, that day of the shooting, she would change it completely around. See, in one of the interviews, Stephanie relayed that she wasn't even supposed to be at work that day. She went in because she needed extra money, so she picked up an extra shift. And I think this kind of explains why she's feeling that way, that if she could go back, she would change everything on that day. Now, there is not justice to report here. Monica, that's Victor's girlfriend, she was arrested. She pled not guilty to nine criminal charges linked to the firearms that she owned. Monica was licensed to own eight weapons. She told investigators that five of those weapons had been stolen. She believed some of the thefts had been committed by Victor. Investigators found one hidden weapon at the home. And usually it's at this part of the story where we remember those who have died or been murdered. And I will remember Kim and Aubriana. But the sadness in this story isn't over. On October 6th, that was just days ago, and it was almost two months from the day the shooting at her home, Stephanie granted an interview to the Western Mass News. She spoke of her trust and friendship with Victor. She said she knew her upstairs neighbor personally, that they had six years of memories with each other. She said she had leaned on him for help in the past and that their families had spent significant time together. In recounting the last few weeks, she said that their personal connection is why the murder-suicide made even less sense. She told Western Mass News that she wanted to say thank you for the outpouring of love and support. She said it had been continuous. She also committed to holding a yearly ride to raise money to tackle general gun violence. She explained that her two children, Michelle and CJ, well, that they were experiencing PTSD. She said little CJ has behavioral outbursts when he doesn't know what to do with his emotions. She also said she's approaching the difficulties by remembering that each day is a new day. Well, later that night, following the interview, Stephanie was involved in a one-vehicle crash that took her life. The accident happened near midnight when Stephanie flipped her car and it landed on a lawn of a home. She succumbed to her injuries at the scene. She had no passengers in the car with her. Now, the devastation this family has endured. Springfield Mayor Dominique Sarno spoke about the family's tragedies, saying that there are no words to express what the family must be going through. He said, our heartfelt thoughts and prayers, our sympathy and words of encouragement go out to the family, especially the children. 
He then went on to commit that the city and the organization Families Against Violence would work to support the surviving family members and help them cope through the difficult times ahead. Now, previously, the mayor had called Aubriana an angel, saying that as a father of two daughters himself, he could not find the words to express what a tragic loss of life had occurred. He also said that he hoped Aubriana's death could be a clarion call to all of us to redouble our efforts in her memory to do everything we can to end senseless acts of violence. And in a post on the GoFundMe page for the family, Stephanie was remembered as the rock of the family. The post explained that an army of angels, specifically Kim, her mother, and Aubriana, were waiting for Stephanie. Now, Stephanie's husband, Christopher, wrote that he wants everyone to know the stuff he knows. He said she had this amazing energy, charisma, and wit that made her truly special. He said in her weakest moments, she still showed up with the strength of a lion. Now, Kim Fairbanks was remembered as a New England Patriots fan who loved her family fiercely. Many tributes on her obituary said that Aubriana couldn't have had a better and more loving escort to heaven. And that leaves us with Aubriana. In a Facebook post, Stephanie explained the morning of the murder-suicide. She said that Aubriana greeted her with a, Good morning, Mommy. She asked for blueberry waffles and milk for breakfast. While waiting for her breakfast, she pulled out the box of crayons, colored pencils, and markers, and began creating art sitting on the couch. Stephanie said she was just such a pleasant child. And the resemblance between the two is uncanny. They have the same smiles, same round cheeks, same half-closed eyes when grinning ear to ear. She was buried in a bright pink coffin inscribed with her name. I truly hope the reunion for the three in heaven was as sweet as I imagine it could be. Now to the long-awaited sentencing of two murders in Michigan. Egypt Covington had some passions in life. She was a yogi. She also loved animals. And her third love was music. Egypt resided in Belleville, Michigan, and that's about 30 minutes southwest of Detroit. But she performed throughout the area, sharing her talents and vibrance, her singing voice, and her guitar playing. It was June of 2017 when Egypt had participated in a yoga class, and then she headed home to call it a night. She said goodnight to her boyfriend and loved ones and put on a movie and just settled into her couch to relax. Well, moments later, two men barged through her door. They look a little confused to find Egypt relaxing on the couch. See, we're going to find out later that the two men didn't intend to break into Egypt's side of the duplex. But I guess not letting an opportunity to be horrific humans go to waste. The two tie up Egypt with Christmas lights and shoot her in the back of the head. Now, when Egypt doesn't show for her account representative job at a local brewery the next morning and her boyfriend, Curtis Meadows, can't get a hold of her, he took measures into his own hands and he drove to her duplex. He found Egypt lying on the living room floor with a bullet hole just behind her ear. A couch cushion lay on the floor near her body with a bullet hole blown through it. Now, remember, this is 2017 and the investigation to find her murderers just moves along at a snail's pace. Initially, local jurisdiction of Van Buren Police Department was handling the case, but much movement wasn't happening, and the family was getting very frustrated. 
the Van Buren police were looking for the usual suspects, specifically someone in her orbit. At first, investigators targeted Egypt's ex-boyfriend. They had a rocky past together, and that would obviously make him a potential suspect. But the leads just weren't panning out. And then there's her current boyfriend, Curtis. He was a no-go either. Everything checked out with him. And the family urged the state police to take over the case. And after a strong online presence backing the family, the state police agreed. Now, state investigators started doing their thing. And according to Egypt's father, arrests were made out of the blue, at least for the family anyway. Investigators had tied three men to the home invasion. So let's back up. Remember, two men seemed surprised when they found Egypt on the couch. They were expecting no one to be home. But the third man waiting in the car knew Egypt's neighbor. Now that neighbor who shared the duplex with Egypt, he was a great friend of hers. And they shared the love of music together. They had even attended the Electric Forest Music Festival together before. And that just happened to be where her neighbor was on that fateful night. Egypt had actually entertained the idea of going to the festival again, but she didn't want to miss work. So she sat the festival out in 2017. And her neighbor, well, he's a healthcare worker who had medical marijuana in his home to distribute to his patients. All right, this is where we enter the three men into the equation. 34-year-old Shane Evans worked at the duplex complex, which included multiple units. He knew enough about Egypt's neighbor to, number one, know he was going to be out of town, and number two, that the marijuana would be found in the home. Shane Evans drove to the complex with 30-year-old Shandon Groom and 37-year-old Timothy Moore with the promise they could score some drugs at the duplex. Shane pointed Shandon and Timothy to the unit, And then he stayed in the car and Shannon and Timothy went in the wrong door and that's how they stumbled upon Egypt. Now, I'm not really sure where the Christmas lights came into the equation, but once they had her arms and legs bound, Timothy grabbed the couch pillow and used it to muffle the sound of the gunshot that killed Egypt. Now, upon taking over the case, Michigan State Police followed tips that revealed drugs were involved. Eventually, those tips led back to the three men. And Shane, the driver and the one who actually knew Egypt's neighbor, well, he took a plea deal in exchange for testifying against Shandon and Timothy. Shane was sentenced to 15 to 25 years for second-degree murder as part of the plea deal. So back at Shane's sentencing in May, he told the family that he didn't know what to say. He then said, I pray for your forgiveness, but I understand if you don't forgive me. All right, the other two members of this criminal trio, Timothy and Shandon, they eventually pled guilty as well, once they were faced with the testimony of their partner in crime. Now, the two were sentenced on Friday. Shandon, who didn't actually pull the trigger, pleaded guilty to second-degree murder. He was sentenced to 17 to 26 years in state prison. And Timothy, who did kill Egypt, was sentenced to 20 to 55 years for firearms charges and second-degree murder. Now, Chuck Covington, Egypt's father, told the Detroit News that the sentences weren't enough. He said the two deserved death for hog-tying his daughter with Christmas lights. He then reminded everyone that they used a pillow to muffle the sound of the gun. Egypt's sister Jessica couldn't rationalize the punishment. She told WJBK that individuals that are so diabolical and evil, even subhuman, 
shouldn't get a chance to walk amongst everyone else free to do as they wish. Now, because Egypt was so loved at her job, the Arbor Brewing Company created a beer called A Girl Named Egypt. According to their statement, it's a hazy golden ale brewed with pink guava and lemongrass, and it's in honor of her as a tribute to her love and passion for life. Now, all proceeds of the beer are donated to charities that support music scholarships, animal welfare, and victims of domestic violence. Her GoFundMe account made the same promise, that donations would cover the cost of the funeral, and then all additional funds would be sent to animal charities and a yearly music scholarship. And I think her obituary might have said it best when they said Egypt belonged to a community. She was active. She shared joy and enriched those who were in her circle. And that's a pretty great legacy to leave behind. Okay, I know in Monday's episode I was going to give Ohio a break. Well, we're back, Ohio. And this time it involves a social worker and a 13-year-old child. 13-year-old child, keep that in mind. 24-year-old Peyton Shires has a pretty typical life. She's a mother to a young child, she's engaged to be married, and she was beginning what promised to be a successful career in the summer of 2023 when she became a licensed social worker. Her social work license became active on June 12th, and she had recently become employed by the National Youth Advocate Program in Madison County, Ohio. Now, the NYAP website explains that their mission is to provide opportunities and resources to youth and families, including a vibrant foster parent support system. The website also states that they have a non-negotiable commitment to do what is best for children, youth, and their families. Now, a quick search of job openings revealed that a social worker position at NYAP is a pretty decent gig. The yearly salary of $50,000 with lots of holidays and PTO, bonuses for productivity, phone reimbursement, and student loan payoff assistance. It could be worse, but it could be a little bit better. And Peyton got off to a quick start. She developed a relationship with that 13-year-old boy that she let go too far. On September 27th, the boy's mother, and let's just call the boy Joe, that's not his name. In fact, his name hasn't been released, but let's make it easy for all of us. So Joe's mom calls the cops. She's a little bit in freakout mode. She's discovered a message between Joe and Peyton. In the message, Peyton is asking Joe if his mother has seen any of their videos or messages. She's also asking if he has deleted the videos. Now, of course, investigators look through Joe's phone, conducting a forensic audit. They quickly discover videos of Joe and Peyton having sex. They also discover multiple texts between the two that are sexual in nature. Investigators, they want more than that. So they set up a three-way call between Peyton, Joe's mom, and the police that are just listening in. Now, during the call, Peyton admits to having sex with the teen on at least two occasions. She was arrested the next day, which happened to be her 24th birthday. When Joe was questioned, he also admitted to the sexual relationship. He said they had visited two different locations to engage in sexual activity. Now, Law and Crime reached out to NYAP, and they said in a statement that protecting children is everyone's responsibility. They went on to say the National Youth Advocate Program is saddened by the situation involving one of our former employees and a young person served by our organization. 
They then said NYAP has reported the situation to Franklin County Children's Services and is collaborating with them and the Columbus Police Department on the case. I guess that statement assures us that Peyton is no longer employed at NYAP. However, her license is still active on the state website at the time of this recording. Now, Peyton is being held in the Franklin County Jail with a bond set at just over $500,000 on one charge of unlawful sexual conduct with a minor. Now, this case is still so early. So the one charge, when you're all probably thinking it should be multiple charges, well, the one charge, by my best guess, is probably linked to the sexual act that was filmed. There could be additional charges added later. We'll just have to wait and see. Well, that's your Monday episode of Rise in Crime. I just want to take a moment to thank the true crime community and the good that you all do. That good includes teaching others to be aware of their surroundings or donating to important causes or having empathy for those who have experienced tragedy and just basically making a warm place for all of us to land in this crazy, crazy world. And thank you for the five-star reviews and the case suggestions. If you haven't left a review, please do. Join me again on Thursday for more morning crime news. I'm Mama Jules, and keep safe out there.